Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, welcome to the Hostile Work Environment. We are a quasi bi-weekly HR and employment law podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Alifans. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Kate Bischoff. Say hello, Kate. Hello, everybody. And we are joined today also by a new friend of mine and a longer-time friend of Kate's, Joey Price from Jumpstart HR in Baltimore. Say hello, Joey. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Well, I'll just answer for everybody. It's going pretty interesting <laughs> right now. <laughs> Everybody's kind of like, I realized I that that was addressed to the to the crowd. So feel free to point out. Yeah. So uh, I thought maybe we'd start out. So I, I you know, I'm not going to bury the lead here. We're talking coronavirus today. We're doing a special episode on that. Um, and uh, I thought, though, before we get into that too deeply, I thought Joey, it might be good. Uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with you already, can you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your practice is like, and uh, uh, how you like living in Baltimore? Hey, well, uh, as I, as you said, I'm Joey, uh, Joey Price, and I am the founder of an HR consulting firm for small businesses and startups called Jumpstart HR. And what we do is uh, we handle all of the nifty HR uh, roles and responsibilities for startups and small businesses who aren't quite ready to make the leap to hire someone full-time, but still realize that employees need to know what to do with their PTO. Um, so we handle tactical and strategic oh, yeah. issues for uh, small businesses and startups across the country. Uh, we're a remote team, um, so we didn't have to send a notice to say rem- work from home because most of us do. Um <laughs> And, and we had a webinar earlier that we'll probably touch on briefly, but uh, really what we exist for is to help companies figure out the difficult HR issues that they come across where uh, without us, they'd be trusting gut or Google and those two paths can lead in the wrong direction. So um, try to step in, yeah, be a partner for them. And then you asked me how I love living in Baltimore. It's great. Uh, We have the best crab cake. Uh, you can put Old Bay on everything. We put it on donuts and ice cream over here. So if you're, so if you're ever, ever in town, <laughs> let me know. I know all the great spots for good food. So that's my uh, that's my my love affair with Baltimore. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I've spent many, many, many days in Baltimore over my years growing up in Philadelphia, and it's one of my favorite cities to go to. And uh, uh, I'm really glad we've got you here. Um, so let's let's jump in here a little bit. So. This is going to air, so we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Uh, we're going to pull back that fourth wall here. It's the 13th, Friday the 13th in the afternoon. Uh, and basically the whole world is, feels like it's shutting down right now. Um, and so Kate and I were going to be live with our first full episode on Monday, uh, the 16th, I suppose. But we're going to have this come out instead because we felt just with everything going on that this would be uh, an important and timely episode to have, and there's so much to talk about. So uh, we're talking coronavirus, uh, 
And I know that at least Kate and I both have the same gag for those of you watching on video. Um, we're bottoms up here. We're drinking our uh, Corona. I've got a 40 yeah. here because I mean, it, and it's only one in the afternoon on Friday. So I am, <laughs> I just, but what, what, what better excuse to just break it out and start day drinking uh, because the whole world's going to pot right now. Exactly. So. <laughs> so I like that you went all in and went straight to the 40 because, you know, you, you don't want to, you know, go home. You want to go big whenever you can. So I appreciate that about uh, you, Mark. Yeah, well, it's go big or go home, but I'm doing both. <laughs> yes. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, Mark, it's it's 2020. I hope yeah. you're recycling that bottle when, when you're done. <laughs> Of course I am. He also lives I, in Portland. I live in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we blow our nose, we recycle it here. So maybe not uh, anymore, uh, but maybe not uh, anymore. Right. <laughs> that could be problematic. Yes, for sure. All right. So, so clearly, you know, we're talking about a really serious issue going on right now, but we're going to try to make this as light as we can. Uh, we want this to be informative, but also uh, something relatable. Uh, and so I'm going to be basically kind of putting out some questions we've gotten from listeners and from myself. And I think just the three of us will have a, a conversation about it. And I don't think we have any planned length or like we just will talk about it and then we'll be done. See how we're feeling. Yeah. But well, then we'll be done. So, all right. So I'm going to start off here. Uh, and I think a good place to start is broad, right? So super uncertain times right now. You know, I think we're all feeling like we can't predict what's going to be going on five days from now, let alone two weeks from now, a month from now, three months from now. So to start off here, if you could give one piece of advice to everyone listening, what would it be? Well, I guess I'll go first and I will just remind everyone, uh, whether you are a manager, a leader, a people leader, an employee, or you just stumbled upon this because it showed up uh, with good SEO that um, leadership, it's a, a test in clarity and courage and calm under chaos. And so at times like this, where I'm reminded of Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote that said, you know, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moment of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And we're forced to make a lot of difficult decisions right now, but if we're able to make those decisions with uh, respect, with empathy, with uh, awareness, uh, with foresight, I think we will uh, be stronger on the other side of this because it's a tough time, but uh, tough times don't last. Tough people do. So let's uh, lead courageously, uh, lead with clarity, and lead with calm. I could not agree more. One of the things that I'm talking to my clients about is you've all put people as your biggest asset as part of your mission. This is the time to really test that. If we're going to really put people in the center of our organizations, this means we're going to have to treat them like people. If we're going to be able to pay them, let's pay them while we send them home or to self-quarantine. If we're going to uh, have to keep businesses open, what does that look like? Can we send people to work from home and to be home? Can we provide additional sanitary things like having the additional wipes, making sure everybody has hand sanitizer and that they're washing their hands. It is really the time to think about what, <laughs> what can we have to make sure employees feel like they're safe. And, yes, exactly. These, these two are <laughs> give, showing me for those podcast listeners, they're showing me their hand sanitizer, 
sanitizers and their Kleenex because they are trying to be so charming. <laughs> um, but if we're going to really have people first, we have to really think about how do we keep our employees and their families as safe as possible while we go through this. We don't want to have to shut down, but that might be something that we consider for a bit. And it, this is just going to be really tough, like a lot of difficult decisions, like Joey mentioned. I agree. I mean, it was funny because Joey was giving his answer and I kind of wrote down a few notes about how I would answer that. And I, it's like you, he read my notes, but then made it far more eloquent. <laughs> so um, I completely agree. Uh, I think the starting point here, if I'm in HR, if I'm an employer right now, is is empathy and respect and realizing that we can't all do everything we want to be able to do for everyone we want to do it for but we should do the most we can and the best we can under the circumstances and constraints that we have. And I think if we start from there, things are going to go pretty, you know, at the least bad that they can. Right. And we have to be transparent about it. We can't hide the ball mm -hmm. for employees here. If we can't, uh, if we have to close down or we have to send them home and they're not going to be working from home, we need to tell them what we will do for them or what we can't do so that they can prepare to use PTO, they can prepare to apply for unemployment because we it looks like we're gonna get expanded unemployment benefits in many locations. So that we can be as open and honest, even if we don't have a plan. If you don't know what you're going to do, tell people that you understand this is a concern, we are working on it, we'll get you an answer as soon as we can. That, I mean, just the transparency of it. There's no ball hiding here. Completely agree. And I, I was always and always have been a proponent of more transparency in HR. And I think this is a circumstance where where more transparency, more information, more communication is better, even if it's to deliver news that not everybody's going to want to hear. So you have a bunch of different clients. Are they what are they doing in planning for closure or planning for slowdown? Are they sending people home or the people who can't work from home? What are they doing? What things are they thinking of? So our clientele, for the most part, are knowledge workers that aren't in factories, aren't in retail. Uh, we do have a franchise, a, um, a restaurant franchise, and we're really walking, uh, we're hand-holding them really through the process of how to inform managers at each of the different locations about what to do. But for the most part, um, our, our customers are sending everyone home. Uh, they're aiming for uh, equality and equity in how the remote work um, environment is set up. So, for example, making sure that people understand that policy is uh, we prefer that you not be the primary child, uh, pro child care provider if you're working from home. And so uh, because we work in this space where a lot of people are already teleworking, it's just been a matter of honing in on the policies, making sure that they're sharp, making sure that everyone's aware of what's required of them, and really just um, trying to get that message out on the front end so people can have the time to make the uh, the ripple effect considerations that they need to make about childcare and finances and travel and things of that nature. So uh, we've been pretty busy. Um, this has been probably COVID-19 week like nothing else, um, but I love being in a position to help <laughs> help people uh, answer these these difficult questions. All right, so my next question is, uh, you know, I've listened this week to a whole bunch of big law firm webinars and presentations, uh, and actually most of them have been excellent. They lay out the law, they're giving a lot of, you know, specific instructions about how to handle each new case that pops up. 
Um, but they are assuming that we're still in a time and place where we are actually able to track each new case that comes up. And in, in that world, a lot of the requirements, especially for OSHA and things like that, they're simply not realistic to implement as the number of infections goes up as we expect it to. So if it's a choice between following the law and going bankrupt or having to shut our doors, right, or being somewhat non-compliant with the law to keep the doors open, right, I think most of us are going to say, well, yeah, we're going to keep the doors open and take that risk. I'm curious for both of you, both from a legal side and from an HR side, what would you say is the best advice for managing risk in a time when perfect compliance or even anything close to perfect compliance isn't a reasonable expectation and it can't be on the table because otherwise society will simply just stop? Well, I am in the boat of we are going to try to be compliant, but keeping our doors open more importantly. For example, right now, if you hired somebody to do an I-9, you're not going to have them come into your office to actually physically inspect, which is what Customs and Immigration wants you to do. So some of my clients are having people take pictures. Some of the other ones are having them do a WebEx or a Zoom conversation and show the pictures of them. And then once this is over, we'll get it again. And I think to substantial compliance is a lot further than just saying, Screw it, compliance. I think trying to be compliant is going to be part of the goal here. And I think even customs and immigration are going to have some grace for us at the end of this. But the goal of trying to keep our employees happy, healthy, safe are all the things that are going to override the, did you give your wage theft notice under the Department of Labor and Industry pieces? <laughs> I, I think I don't think we're going to be so nit gritty while we're in a pandemic. I think they're even agencies are going to understand that because they're not going to be 100% compliant in the space either. Yeah, I agree with Kate. This is such an organic work in progress that I think the key words will be flexibility uh, and proactive. Um, so being flexible, but also being proactive and making sure that even if you don't know the right thing to do from a legal standpoint today, uh, just ask yourself, what's the right call to make? Um, but I would also, uh, as you asked, you know, my orientation as an HR professional, this is the this is the reason why it's important to have a relationship with somebody like a Kate because <laughs> you want to have want to have an attorney that you can pick up the phone and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts on going this particular path? So, HR folks, if you don't have an HR attorney that you trust, I think you need to have that person as a part of your network because. There will become things that go outside of our limitations, our professional limitations and professional expectations. So uh, it's not a cowardice move or it's not a um, sign of weakness to say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. Um, so I will I defer to an attorney at this standpoint, but uh, I I'd practice good faith and be flexible and be proactive. And for the record, he, we are not paying him to be here. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to agree with everything you both just said. I mean, I, I you know, one of the things that, that really caught my attention was just thinking through OSHA regulations, which hasn't been a real prime focus for me through much of my career. But, you know, it, technically speaking, there's a ton of obligations there when you start having people getting diagnosed with, with COVID-19, where you're supposed to be reporting each case and each potential exposure to OSHA, to your, to your public health authority. 
And when everybody starts getting it, that's simply not, it's not practical because they're not going to, they're not going to pick up the phone anyway. No. And that, and that advice, yeah, that advice kind of is contrary to what the EEOC is saying as well. Uh, So what, what I am recommending to clients is if we are still in this area of containment, which will not last that much longer, um, you know, Ohio, as of Friday has closed all schools and they expect that they are already at community spread. So if we're still in this area of containment, public health will come to you and will go to your employees. You don't need to do anything with that information. And that's in line with what the EEOC is saying. Once we're in a community spread situation and the public health department isn't coming to us anymore, we're going to have to make decisions without identifying who those people are who may have tested positive and say, okay, guys, this is the situation. We are going to close down now. We're going to ask you not to come into the office. We're going to do a thorough cleaning. We're going to act, make sure that we stop business for we take the next steps to keep you safe and healthy. Without saying, Jimmy in accounting has coronavirus. We're, we're going to have to come up with those contingency plans that don't identify. Because I look at this as something it's more important to protect Jimmy than it is necessarily to go to OSHA because OSHA is going to be overwhelmed with this. Um, it oh, just simply over. I mean, we have already what over thirteen hundred cases in the U.S. as of Friday afternoon or Friday morning at least. Uh, right, officially, and it's unofficially. Yeah, officially is the key word. Many yeah. times there's that undoubtedly right. so much more. Yeah, yeah, and so the protecting Jimmy from being harassed, protecting Jimmy from being discriminated against, all of those things are more important than pinging OSHA on this particular issue, in my opinion. Right. And even even that, given the, the probable spread of what we're hearing, it, even that becomes moot after a few weeks because discriminating against, I mean, everybody, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a significant percentage of the population. So then the question is, how much or how little do you operate or close down or, right, because infection rates are going to be, are, are likely to be very high. So it's about minimizing exposure and obviously having as many of your employees work from home, but also like society still needs to function. We have to be able to go to the grocery store and get food. We have to, right? So there's going to be a certain amount of functioning that has to happen, even with people who can potentially spread this virus to other people, because we have to make a trade-off here between protecting everybody, but also making sure that the food supply doesn't stop. Yeah, agreed amongst other things. All right. I'm going to start getting into some of our listener questions. Uh, all right. Here's a question we've got. Can I make my employee cancel her pre-planned vac- vacation to X country? What if she gets quarantined on the way back and overstays her vacation? What if she gets sick? This is like a whole bunch of questions. What if she gets <laughs> sick and brings it into our workplace? Can I make her bring me a doctor's note before she comes back to work just because she traveled there? Okay. But I'm going to start this first, and then I'll let you guys answer the front end of this question, is don't be the employer who is asking a doctor to sign a form during a pandemic. Don't be that person who's trying to ask the medical community to do more already overburdened. That goes for anything at age and time. As medical hospitals and doctors are gearing up for this, we're not going to ask for a medical certification for someone who was just diagnosed with cancer. Let's not do it. Let's just pause and let the medical community do what they need to do to try to keep all of us safe than filling out a 
GD form because we feel like we need it for compliance purposes at this point in time. Let's trust employees instead of being nitpicky about these particular issues. I feel so strongly about this. I don't have family in the medical community. I don't have friends in the medical community. But I know that if I get sick and I start showing signs of COVID-19, I want to be able to go to my doctor and I don't want Ramsey to be busy filling out a form. I, I, this may be selfish on my part, but I think that as employers, we can do good in the world right now by letting them be. It's also not practical, right? With the with the overburdening of the medical system, if you're going to require that of everybody who might have been exposed, good luck. You're just yeah. never going to have anybody come back because they're not going to be able to get to their doctor in the first place. So that's just a great way to cause your business to shut down right now. And I, another thing to keep in mind here is, you know, we started this talking about empathy and, and leading with courage. We have to remember our employees are going to be employed at this organization after this dies down and settles down. And so the environment that you create during chaos is really going to show, you know, how well you think of your employees and um, if you are a, an employer that cares. And so, you know, not from a fluff standpoint, I'm not saying hugs and, and roses for everyone, but no. <laughs> treat, no hugs, no touching. Uh, and no elbows, uh, apparently. But elbow, um, elbow bumps, just, elbow bumps. You can't, you can't make your elbow touch your face. So elbow bumps. <laughs> yeah, but I can sneeze into my elbow. But it's the other side. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah whatever. Well, and what I'm, what I'm saying ultimately is, you know, just remember that you, your goal is always to create an environment that people want to work for and work at, even in times of chaos. And uh, people will not forget uh, how you handled uh, a, a, a circumstance uh, when you're on the other side of it. it it's not, uh, there is no amnesia for yeah. uh, coronavirus and how you treated your employees. There's not a symptom. I agree. Sure. All right. Okay, so what about the woman who's going on vacation to oh. France where they have a massive outbreak? Or can you tell her to cancel? What are you going to do? Well, so from a HR standpoint, there's a, a few things I'm going to look at really quickly. I'm going to first look at the uh, employee policies and just ask, you know, what is it that we're already telling our employees about leave? Is there already a clause in there that says uh, we reserve the right to rescind your ability to take leave for um, reasons outside of our control or even within our control? Uh, I'm also going to take a look at where they're traveling and if there are a lot of cases of um, the outbreak or if it's an environment where the uh, infrastructure may not be the best at containing uh, the coronavirus. I'm likely to uh, strongly advise against uh, the employee traveling just because of the the risk that they put themselves in, that they put their family in, that they put our, our community in, um, and other people uh, where they're traveling to. And um, so, so it's really going to boil down to those things. What have we told employees? What uh, are an and appeal to their sense of um, empathy and understanding and putting themselves in the shoes of their their neighbor who um, you know isn't traveling but now could be susceptible to uh, outbreak if they um, perhaps contracted something while traveling so I'm not going to outright say no um, but I will strongly advise against and ask them to uh, take a logical view at, uh, at that how I got to that point. yeah I mean I don't and, yeah and I would also say, if you're going to go, note that I'm not going to let you come into the office for 
a quarantine period. So before you go, make sure you have everything you need at home right. so that you can work from home if possible What after that period. And right now, the CDC's guidance is 14 days. That may change. We're seeing studies come out of China where the virus can Over stay 20. in someone for up to 37 days. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, you know. <laughs> That, that So that could change. So if someone is wanting to go on vacation, we tell them up front, okay, we're not going to tell you not to go on this vacation, but understand that we are going to put some regulation on you when you come back saying don't come in. So right. yeah, We can't tell them not to go, right? I mean, we don't have that power uh, as an employer to, oh, for somebody's personal. We well, well, no, what we can say is there will be employment consequences if yeah. you go, yep. but you can't yeah. obviously keep yeah. them from going. In the end, how I am thinking about that is, you know, it depends on the job in some ways. What I tell them is the consequence of that, right? Kate, your advice is dead on perfect if it's somebody who can actually work from home, right? If it's mm -hmm. somebody that can't, and I'm not in a position as an employer financially to be able to accommodate that person being gone for several weeks and not being able to work from home, it may be we're going to have to furlough you or lay you off and we may have to hire somebody else in the meantime because our production or whatever it is that we do can't handle you not being there if you come mm -hmm. back from your planned vacation and we can't have you here. So my reaction to that, my response to that and, and kind of the warning I give to that employee is going to depend very significantly on what the nature of their job is. Mm -hmm. I think this is a, a place to maybe even mention um, individuals who may be deployed for the for the guard. Uh, any comments on those that sort of uh, entry and reentry, and how employees might, how employers might uh, protect their employees and their businesses with with that in mind, with Usera in mind. Any any thoughts there? Well, you're going to have to do what the law requires you to do, which means one, give them the time off. Two, think about how important their role is in yeah. helping set up drive-in centers and all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? I would give them as much time. I would thank them for their service and say, can we send meals home to your spouse? Can we, you know, what can we do to help make sure that this is easier for you in any way we can? Because I, I want to not literally, but figuratively wrap my arms around them and say, thank you so much for trying to keep us safe. So to the extent I'm sending Instacart to their house or Amazon or toilet paper, I'm going to. Totally agree. All right. We have an employee who is presumptively positive and being tested by the state health authority. Employee's significant other is a contractor in the community for us and for others. Our management employee decided to call significant other's employer to give them a heads up about possible contagion. What should we do now? Have a shot like, of tequila. <laughs> a 40 of Corona. Yeah, a 40 of Corona with uh, like several limes. Several yeah. Limes. Um, yeah. Several limes. So, so what's our best meeting? So we, yeah, know there's yeah. a, we know there's a problem here. What's the problem here? We shared confidential yeah. information. Right. HIPAA, privacy. Right. So thinking about HIPAA, what is our mitigating act that we can do to try to make this better? Is there one? I don't know. Okay, first, first off, I am not of the the position that most employers are covered by HIPAA. I think Fair. most employers are not because you, if you're because not a health healthcare providers. provider, right? Right. If you're not a healthcare provider, which is different than a health insurance provider. Yeah. Most employers are a health insurance provider. 
not a health care provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're not a healthcare provider, HIPAA doesn't apply. Um, so I would be really concerned about that we shared this information with someone we weren't supposed to share this information with. And then two, oh man, I'm not sure what I would do. Joy, what would you do? <laughs> I'd <laughs> well with my corona in I mean, hand. The cat's out of the bag, right? Well Yeah. I mean I would I would uh try to get ahead of it as possible to curb the um spread of communication because um what if the person doesn't actually have it and then you go into a whole host of other problems that the employee or their spouse may want to even sue against, I would imagine. Um, if people treat them as outcasts or if people uh, say mean things about them or distance themselves because they, they think that they've uh, contracted the, the virus. So I would try from a communication standpoint to get ahead of it, see what we can do and see how we can um, right the ship, so to speak. Uh, otherwise, it could, it could turn into something really bad. Do we think that there's, uh, well, there is a difference. How much of a difference is there if the communication was, you know, we're calling up the other employer and saying, hey, uh, Joey has COVID, as opposed to saying, we have information that leads us to think that one of your employees may have it, but we're not going to say who because of confidentiality. I don't think there's much of a difference if the only employee that they have with you is Joey. Well, right. I mean, it. I mean, they would be identifying at that point in time either way. But if it yeah. wasn't something that, that you could identify, then it's, you know, what are your contingency plans? Yeah. I would ask that question. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the answer here is um, you're kind of SOL. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, just do your best to communicate and try to try to mitigate through good communication after the fact and have good conversations with the employee and others to just say, we're sorry, this shouldn't have happened this way. Um, what can we do to help? Uh, yeah. So, all right. It is established that an employee contracted COVID-19 via their work duties, either through customer contact, patient contact, etc. Would that be considered a work-related injury or illness subject to workers' comp? Are workers' comp companies likely to fight those claims? If I get COVID-19 at work, is it a compensable workers' compensation injury? Well, this is where I would have more questions and answers on the front end because my brain goes to, is there uh, a question of liability? Um, Is it a question of the employee didn't take reasonable steps to uh, protect himself um, in the the process of contracting the virus? Uh, And then, I mean, you'd have to be able to prove that the person got it from them in the first place right. because uh, if it's a com- if you're in a place where there's community spread or if there's other potential chances mm-hmm. to contract the virus, you could present a case that hey, it wasn't me, you know, or it wasn't our company. It was when you stopped at the gas station or when you were at your uh, coffee shop or um, maybe your spouse brought it home. Um, so I think that it's an uphill battle to even uh, get a workers' comp claim or disability claim in the first place uh, because, well, disability may be less likely, but with the workers' comp, for sure, um, it'd be an uphill battle. But you you just, it's not, it's not a black and white thing. There's so much gray and there's so many shades of gray inside this whole thing that, uh, I mean, good luck trying to to figure Mm -hmm. that out, but you, you have to, you have to go down that path. 
Yeah, I think we're beyond the point. Like, again, when we were in the first stages of this, where we had just a few cases, we could say, you sent me on this work trip to Wuhan, I got it there, then it's work comp. I think there's going to be a part where work comp carriers are going to say, as of this date, it was so widespread where you can't prove that it was me. And so we'll, we'll say everything up here was, but everything back here isn't, or after that date isn't. And I think, you know, we have to remember where comp is a business. And so they're going to be looking to try to protect their assets as much as possible. Um, whether that is a good thing or a bad thing, I can't really say, but I don't expect a lot of work comp claims to be actually proven. I mean, in the best case, I mean, work comp is the best case scenario if you're an employee, right? I mean, if the first days I would be licking everybody at work to say I got it there because the time would be paid for the, you know, I would get, you know, some damages out of that too. So it was the best case scenario. I think we're beyond it at this point though. Disclaimer, hostile work environment does not condone licking coworkers. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Please don't. Uh, So another question here that I think very much has the same answer at this point is, if my employee gives COVID-19 to a customer, am I responsible? I think my answer is, how do you prove it? I don't, there's, how do you know? Not at this point. Yeah, how do you know? How do you know? I think that's even a, an interesting question when you think of um, co-employers or gig workers uh, who, mm-hmm. you know, for example, if it's a Uber driver or a uh, Instacart delivery person, uh, where would where would the liability even rest um, if, if someone in that particular scenario, if someone in were... that, yeah, if they were employees or contractors or what have you, um, I, I think there's just a ton of questions that, that need answers around it. I totally agree. Um, when business slows and you may have to furlough or lay off employees, obviously with the hope of rehiring them, how do you choose who to furlough? And in particular, how do I combat the potential desire inside my company to furlough the old, ill, or at risk first for their safety, quote unquote. Okay. So I'm going to give some awful legal advice at this point in time. Yeah, this is not legal <laughs> advice, but uh, first of all, we don't say legal advice. Oh gosh, no. Um, but <laughs> what I would say is if you're going to pay the people you are furloughing, they won't have any damages to sue you if that was that negative impact, other than emotional distress damages, which I think are going to be de minimis at this point in time. So if you wanted to pay people and you said those of you in the most high risk areas or those of you with children in the high risk areas, mm-hmm. with parents at home in the high risk areas, as long as you're paying them, I think you're you're it's safer to do that. Okay. If you're not going to pay them, which means that there's, they are going to suffer an adverse employment action here and your decisions to furlough negatively or disparately impact those who are old, those who have disabilities, those with pre-existing conditions, then you are creating liability in that particular situation. And that is a risky decision to go for. I realize, again, this is not great situation for you. But if you reduce the risk by paying people, then it's easier to overcome that. What if I can't pay them? Then I would say we're going to have to look at business necessity and determine who are needed to continue operations without regard to those who might be in those more high-risk areas. Because 
We don't want to create a disparate impact claim under Title VII, under the ADA, under the ADEA. Um, those all things are, are create a significant amount of risk. I'd also add that if you happen to be in a labor environment, there might be rules about that in a labor contract that would specify who goes home first. So just to, for those yeah. of you in organized labor land, uh, look to your look to your labor contracts, which will start very likely have some information about that. Yeah, this is absolutely going to be a mandatory bargaining topic. So make mm -hmm. sure you notify the union as well. And I agree with my attorney. So there's that. <laughs> All right. So this this was my. You know, and it and it doesn't it doesn't also hurt to ask if you have volunteers right. who want to furlough first. You know, you might want to consider, guys. We right. have to slow down. Does right. anybody want to take the hit first? And those with kids with, you know, who are immunocompromised, those with parents in their house, folks who are in their high risk, they might opt themselves out. And that while it might not necessarily reduce the risk overall. You know, asking for volunteers doesn't hurt. They'll, they'll be somewhat aware of that if it's a fully paid furlough, because then everybody will raise their hand. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, all right. Uh, this was this was my favorite question we got, um, probably our least substantive question. But the president of the United States described COVID-19 as, quote unquote, a fast spreader. Is it safe for employees to discuss the president's word choices in the workplace? I think it's uh, it's safe. Fast spreader, by the way, that's 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 the guy who gets promoted at, at Jimmy John's. That's uh, that's right. Fast, fast spreader is. Fast spreader it has no other connotations. <laughs> but um, no. but as but, yeah. but it's it's safe to to talk about. But you have to also remember that, unfortunately, um, the the president doesn't always use. Uh, proper language, proper context, proper vocabulary when describing things. And so you run the risk of unnecessary pandemonium and misinformation. And so there's, there is, uh, I wouldn't stop someone from talking about what the president has said or any uh, public official uh, who is in office and their responsibilities are to, uh, to lead our, our nation or our government in some capacity. However, I would be sure to have the facts ready in the event that something said derails the conversation towards a place where it doesn't need to be and reassure our employees of, hey, here are the facts, here's the truth, here's what the president may have intended to say, uh, and here's um, information that you actually need to know moving forward. So I'm not going to stop anyone from talking about what the president says, but if, you know, it spins off into a, a, a deep, dark place, you got to reel it back and reel it back quick. Yeah, right. I got a question yesterday in a, in a session where I was talking about COVID because I was going to talk about a regular topic. And then they, I offered, you know, do you want to talk about COVID for 20 minutes of this presentation? And everybody's like, yeah, absolutely. And one of the questions I got was they had one employee who took a picture of a bunch of coworkers who happened to be of Asian descent and then posted it on Snapchat of something, something quarantine. Um, and so it was this potential, or I, in my opinion, could be harassing and certainly could be seen as mm -hmm. harassing based on race. And so they walked through what they had done and they said, you know, we immediately terminated that employee for harassment. 
Then we reached out to the employees who were in the picture or people who had seen the picture and said, we don't tolerate that kind of behavior. So there is the potential for a lot of harassment to come out of the misconceptions and even what our leaders of the country are saying. And so we have to be very mindful that we are not feeding into that, into those stereotypes from a perspective and that we are heading them off from the start from when we hear about them. We're checking in with employees to make sure that they are doing well, that, you know, we don't want them to feel like we are condoning or allowing that kind of harassment to occur. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And we have to be clear about the way we even refer to this uh, pandemic um, because it can be discriminatory, uh, discriminatory to even reference it as the Wuhan coronavirus. Uh, so we have to be mindful. Placing blame in that way. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, again, people don't forget how you treated them in a, uh, emergency situation. So we should, we should pay attention. So interesting factoid I read. Do you guys know how the Spanish flu got its name? No. That was the 1918 pandemic flu epidemic. Yeah. So apparently what I was reading is that it wasn't because it originated in Spain. It's because Spain was the only country willing to put forth actual, legitimate, free press information about the flu. So it was the first country that was actually reporting on it. And so everybody just associated it with Spain. Interesting, because Spain was a really interesting country at that point point in time, time, too. Right. Wow. Okay. But they had more freedom of the press and more ability to get that information out there. And so other countries were trying to suppress it, like maybe certain countries today are trying to suppress it uh and and in the end it ended up being spain because they were the ones talking about anyway um (laughs) how do we handle the inequities uh or unfairness related to office staff being able to work from home but frontline or factory workers who still need to work in person what i would do is from an hr professional or practitioner standpoint is um even as an hr professional or as a manager I would want to be on the front lines with all of the safety precautions, all of the communication of, hey, here's what we're doing to make your environment safe. Um, Earlier, we talked about good faith uh, and making good faith efforts to secure uh, workplaces. And so um, for the employees that are coming in, I would make sure that we're still um, responsible for the work that needs to be done, but also briefing employees, having huddles saying, huddles, Six feet apart, of course, right? The the social distancing. Um, but 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 going through every single precaution that has been made to make the environment safe and uh, assuring people that hey, if you are feeling sick, uh, we are a culture that will uh, not penalize you for taking that time to sit it out. Uh, and that's I think one of the best things that you can do is be on the front lines with the safety initiatives, communicate with people, and reassure them that hey. Uh, you don't have to come in and um, be sick and potentially uh, spread something to other people. Uh, we do care about your health, so take take the time to set it out and, um, and and be safe. And we're just really perpetuating that idea that there's going to be an us versus them. And as mm-hmm. long as, again, we're transparent with folks about what we're having, what we're doing, what we're trying to do, what we can do for them, as Joey mentioned, you know, if they want to take the time, take the time to the extent we can. You know, we have to be cognizant that this us versus them already exists. 
and try to downplay that and show why we care so much. Agreed. And the practicality of it is in the end that different jobs are different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to keep the most people safe in the best way we can. And for anybody who's not in that position, we want to expose them the least amount possible under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so there are differences. And so most people will understand that. But I think the question's well taken that it doesn't feel fair a lot of the time. So, uh, which actually speaks to, and I think, Joey, you you actually answered some of the next questions. So I'm going to read the next question. How vital is the presence of HR on premises if there is a population still working on site? Say it's a manufacturing company, but 70% of the company is working remote. I, I think as a as a HR director, VP of HR, or someone in a leadership capacity in HR, it would help alleviate the peers if you lead from the front and say, hey, you know what, I uh, trust this environment to be safe enough to work out of, and so here I am with you. Um, if that is not the case, for example, if uh, HR is headquartered in um, one location and the company factory is somewhere else, uh, I would make sure that site managers are equipped with the proper talking points and um, awareness of, hey, what is the company doing so that they can lead from the front lines and say, hey, this is the, a safe place to be and uh, we're going to get through this together. What is the liability of a company or employer if they make an employee work during this type of crisis? What happens if the employee refuses to go to work? Do I want to be the employer who's going to force an employee to come to work who really doesn't want to come to work during a pandemic? I think the answer is no, that I don't want to be that employer. (laughs) However, if I am a healthcare center, a clinic, and I need a otherwise healthy employee to come into the office and they are refusing to because of fear or because that they don't think I'm providing enough safety equipment, am I going to say, this is your choice? If you're choosing not to come in, I might have to terminate you? Yes. Particularly if I'm a healthcare clinic or a hospital or so, of some sort. I think right. I'm going to get to that point for that kind of employee. You might have but, to. But for most employers who are not in that situation, I don't think I want to be the employer who says uh, you have to come in or lose your job. I think we're we are in a period of rash uh, anxiety, uh, irrational behavior at some point, and I get it. People are weird, um, and people are are hard to understand sometimes. But I, to the extent we can have people come in who are okay coming in who understand the importance of our mission, et cetera, that's who I want. If somebody refuses to, that is going to be someone I might have strong words with later after this is over. But right now, I don't think I'm going to be that person. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for uh, the continuity of, of uh, things and still going to work and not feeling like you're forced to do so, but just knowing that um, if you are not a workforce that is uh, initially impacted or at risk for um, coming into contact with the virus, uh, it's okay to go to, to go to work. Um, I would caveat that though by saying that um, from an ADA standpoint, um, if you do have an employee that has um, uh, anxiety or depression 
or mm-hmm. uh, something else, and it's and it's triggered by or or yeah, triggered by um, the, the all the news and the um, information and misinformation, and 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 they're they're feeling the effects of that. Um, I would accommodate a work from home um, for that employee uh, or for those employees because I, I feel like it's your your um, requirement to do so. Um, but that would be my only caveat there is making sure that when you're making blanket statements of go to work, don't go to work, um, think about your employees that um, would be protected under the ADA and uh, think about not just their working at work, but what is it like for their commute? What is it like for them to um, get up in the morning, go into work, work at your organization, come back home? What is that experience like for them? And have a conversation with them to see if uh, if going into work is, is more insurmountable than it than um, in times before. Yeah. The one other thing I would like to mention about being in HR while we have a bunch of people working from home is that while we want managers to make sure that they are developing and keeping connections with employees who are working from home, it's part of our job too. It's part of our job to make sure people feel comfortable coming to talk to us. Uh, when we're actually in an office, but it's also part of our job to make those connections with people while they're outside of the office. So try to figure out a way that you want to build connections with people or keep connections with people while they're out. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean they should be out of our mind. Uh, They should be top of our mind, making sure that we're still making those connections. I'm curious, any, that's the end of the questions that I had prepared. What parting words would you have for our listeners kind of what last thought do you want to leave them with uh before we before we call it uh before we call it good here um i just want to say thank you for having me on the show this has been fun um i hope you guys will send me my corona in the mail um, so i can feel included (laughs) (laughs) but uh i would just leave on a um slightly um Slightly joking, but at the same time, serious note of uh, don't be um, Rudy Gobert. Don't be that guy who makes fun of uh, mm-hmm. of this um, of the circumstances that we're in, um, because as seen, uh, it's a very real um, pandemic that we're in. And so, don't go out of your way to put yourself in risk, uh, and don't go out of your way to put others at risk. Uh, let's all be smart. Let's all uh, do the right thing. And uh, we'll get through this together. Yeah. My parting words are, please go wash your hands. <laughs> I echo both of those thoughts. I, you know, as you go through the next couple of weeks, you may not feel exposed, but other people around you are definitely more exposed than you are. And we should all be thinking of them first. So uh, be cautious. Don't overreact, but let's not underreact either. So, and just be good to everybody around you. All right. Thank, Thank you so you much both. for being here, Joey. Thank you. We really Thank appreciate you. it. This was fun. Yeah. All right. And uh, we'll be back well, with another. Yes, yeah, we'll be Kate. back with another episode where people are saying bad words like tits and whores soon.